This is the Practical Homeopathy Podcast, episode number 65 with Joette Calabrese. This is Joette Calabrese, and I'd like to welcome you to the Practical Homeopathy Podcast. Women and men worldwide are taking back control of their family's health and learning how to heal their bodies naturally, safely, and effectively. So if you're hungry to learn more, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned as we give you the tools and the inspiration you need as I share my decades of experience and knowledge using this powerful medicine we call homeopathy. Kate and I love hearing from you. So consider taking a moment to share your thoughts about this podcast. For example, Ophelia wrote this comment about another podcast. She said, I search every possible issue that comes up with my little ones and my family to find the remedy that will help. Let me tell you, Joette has everything you need in her articles, podcasts, and helpful remedy cards. Thanks, Joette, for helping me get on the homeopathy path. Thank you, Ophelia, for mentioning it. Joette, it's good to be with you today doing another podcast. Hi, Kate. It's always good to be with you too. I'm excited to hear what you have to share with us today. You always have great stories, Joette. Well, you told me, okay, we got some ideas. Why don't you see if you can come up with something? And I was thinking, you know, my husband and I, and I have my mother with me. She lives with us now. And our dog, Buster, have all moved to Florida. And uh, we did it quite a while ago, but now we're totally settled in. We've got a little townhouse and Things are moving along, and we're not too far away from where my in-laws used to live in Florida. And so it got me thinking about spending time with my mother-in-law. And there was a time, of, I'm going to say it was probably about 25 years ago, and we were visiting, we were staying with my in-laws, and um, we had, I think we, I, I think we only had one son, so maybe it was longer ago, maybe it was 28 <laughs> years ago. And my mother-in-law did a lot of sewing, and I love sewing too, and so we got out her sewing machine and I started to sew and I was not accustomed to working on her sewing machine. But years ago, I used to actually sell sewing machines in Chicago at a fabric store. You did? I did. It was called the Fabric Barn. And, you know, I just loved learning about things like sewing machines because it was a big part of my life. And I also did alterations and dressmaking for people back then too. We're talking long time. We're talking 1973, <laughs> folks. So it was a long time ago. Joe, you have a lot of <laughs> hidden talents. Oh, well, I, I don't know how talented I was. I was willing. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so um, I've done a lot of sewing, actually. I don't know if we want to go into this. <laughs> so I'll just tell a little bit more about sewing because it was a passion of mine when I first learned how to sew in about seventh or eighth grade. It was part of our curriculum in public school back in Buffalo, New York. And once I learned, I just couldn't stop. I wanted to make all my clothes. It was just too much fun. and I started to make all my clothes, and in high school, I made everything except, we used to call them shells, except the knit shell, but I would make my mini skirts and my jackets and my pants. I even covered belts. I even covered shoes with fabric. I just, it was just too much fun. I loved oh doing that. Oh my gosh, I know. That. I used to actually go to the fabric store. I don't know if people really want to hear this story, but I used to go to the fabric store and buy three or four fabrics, all prints, and in those days, back in the 60s, it was the Piccadilly look. What's a Piccadilly Piccadilly, Piccadilly Circus. It was an area in London, England, that was putting out these kinds of fabrics that were 
tiny prints, very vibrant, red with yellow flowers and kind of, um, you know, flower power was the look. <laughs> so I would buy three or four fabrics and press them all, lay them all out. And I would use one thread for all three of them. So I made sure it was a unifying color. So if I had red with yellow, blue with yellow and orange with yellow, I had yellow thread. So I would cut them all together. I would make mini skirts. It was a, what is that called? Like An a, assembly line. Yeah, assembly line. Yeah. An assembly line of skirts. And I would do this every weekend so that I had three new skirts for the week every week. Oh I my know. gosh. It's crazy. I was so good at the zipper foot and putting my zippers in and my buttonholes. I got really good at it. I could hem a skirt in 20 minutes flat. So <laughs> I, I did this all the time and I loved it. So, but I hadn't sewn for a long time and I was visiting my in-laws, staying with them. And we were on this sewing machine that I wasn't that familiar with. And I was stitching along. I don't remember what I was making. And my thumb went under the foot and the needle went directly into my thumb, clear through my entire thumb. I mean, oh it was, you could see the needle from both oh. ends on the top of my thumb and the bottom. Oh my gosh. So I was impaled by this sewing machine. Oh, and yes, of course you it, it freaked me, totally freaked me out. So I yelled out, my husband came and detached the needle from the machine because it was still attached to the machine. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. It was attached to the sewing machine. Um, it didn't get as far as the bone. It didn't go that deep. It went more off to the side a little bit. Um, and it didn't touch my nail. So I was freaking, of course. And in those days, my in-laws did not own a homeopathy kit. Otherwise, I would have taken Hypericum, Leadum, and I was feeling like I was going to faint, so maybe even Ignatia. But I didn't have any of those with me. But I did have, they, they did have a bottle of St. John's Ward. And the reason they had this bottle of St. John's Ward was because in those days, my father-in-law used to have a little difficulty sleeping, and I used to make St. John's Ward for him. I used to collect it from the meadow around our home back in Colden, New York, and I used to make big jugs of this stuff for him. And they had some because I had given it to them for Christmas. And it's made in vodka. And I got the bottle, and it was not a little tiny amber bottle. It was a whole big, fat amber bottle. Oh, my gosh. And I just gulped. Oh, wow. <laughs> just anything to calm my nerves. And the pain was not as severe as you might think. It was really more my nerves just looking at it. Oh. Um, and it calmed me down right away. And my mother-in-law and father-in-law said, you got to take her to the hospital. you got to go to the emergency room. My husband said, I'll take care of this. So he's where are the pliers? Oh no. <laughs> I know. And they weren't even needle nose pliers. He used big fat honking <laughs> pliers. Oh my and, gosh. He, and he got the pliers and he pulled, you know, and I'm shaking, but but actually the St. John's Ward helped me a great deal. Like was it the St. John's Ward or the alcohol that was made? Oh well, I know people other people have asked me that. I don't think I drank enough for it to be the alcohol. But I actually thought for a moment, oh, I'm just gonna live like this. I'll just live with a needle impaled into my for the rest of my life because I do not want this needle to come out, just the thought of it having gone in, and now it's got to come out. I'll, I'm just going to live this way. But, you know, I came to my senses and realized I really had to have this thing removed from my body. So we pulled it out, and I continued taking St. John's Wort. Now, I don't know why. Oh, I know why I didn't have the remedies with me because I was actually staying with my parents as well because my parents were down here too, and um, I could get the remedies later on. But meanwhile, I took that St. John's Wort and it made 
a huge difference in my demeanor. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get an, an impaled body part, <laughs> you really want to take Hypericum 200 is what I would have used had I had the um, homeopathic. And I might also now today, knowing the Banerjee protocols, I might also have used Arsenicum 200 along with it to protect from infection. But another great medicine, and at that time, that's what I knew to take, was Leadum 200. Mm-hmm. So when I got back to my parents' place, I started taking Leadum 200. Meanwhile, the St. John's work really acted well. I was calm, not drunk. <laughs> I was calm, and the pain wasn't bad, and I pressed time and again on the wounds, two wounds, mind you, the wound going in, <laughs> coming out, to get blood. And thankfully, I did get blood because that is a good way to keep it somewhat clean mm-hmm. uh, because it releases any bacteria that the needle might have carried. Right. Now, Leadum was because Leadum is for any type of a puncture wound. Puncture wound. That's right. That's yes. right. Okay. And so I took the St. John's wart for the next several hours. And then eventually we got to my parents' place and I started taking Leadum. And in that case, then I took it, I, as I recall, it was long enough ago that I wouldn't exactly remember it. It was about every three hours. And then the next day it hurt a little bit. It really wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. surprisingly. And the next day I took Leadum two or three times and the following day two or three times. And then by the end of the week, I'd gotten down to about twice a day over that period of a week. Okay. So you continued to take the Leadum for about a week. Yes, I did just in case there was bacteria. But did you take anything else? No, I just took that St. John's word from time to time. Oh, okay. And when I say I took it, you know, the first gulp was a couple good gulps. And, uh, but after that, it was, you, you draw up the pipette in a regular tincture bottle and it automatically draws up about 15 to 20 drops. And I used that, put it in water and drank that throughout the day here and there throughout that first and second day. I bet they couldn't believe that you weren't going to the emergency room, huh? Well, they saw how calm I was and that my husband was very calm about it too. My husband is a kind of a rugged guy and really into sailing long distances and has had a lot of those kinds of experiences. So he knows what to do. And he also knows how to calm me down. Just don't worry. (laughs) Here, drink this. (laughs) Funny. I know. You guys balance each other out well. Yeah, we do. We do. So that's my sewing machine. You know, I think we're going to title this particular podcast, My Sewing Machine Attacked Me. (laughs) That's a good title, yes. So, Joette, as long as we're on the topic of injuries, what other stories about injuries do you have? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. You know, when when there's an impalement into the body like that, we automatically think Hypericum 200, Arsenicum 200 for the infection, and then Leadum as well, which is also great for infections, but it's also great for puncture wounds. However, when there's an injury to the eye, now it's a different remedy. Now, instead of Leadum, we use Aconitum. So a lot of folks call Aconitum the Arnica for the eye. Mm-hmm. But any injury to the eye is most often it's aconitum. So whether it's a puncture wound or a punch in the eye or any kind of injury, we always think of aconitum. Now, isn't leadum also really good? Because I've used that when someone got a, a black eye. A black eye, yeah. Yeah, leadum's great for a shiner, as they sometimes call them in colloquial terms. So it's also uh, great for any time there's a black and blue around the eye. Okay. Then we would use Leadum. Aconite is more for an injury, like say... To the eyeball itself. Okay. All right. Okay, good. So what if someone has something in their eye? Yeah. If there's debris in the eye and it's stuck, now we go to silica 
because silica automatically sets up a superation to push out anything that's foreign that should not be there. Mm -hmm. We usually use silica in a 6X or a 3X, and we could take that over a couple of days, and that will often push it out. Or, of course, just an eye wash. Oh, I really love the eye drops by Boron. It's called Optique. Yes, I love those too. They're great. I've used them for pink eye. I've used them for just um, raw, irritated eyes. They are amazing. Yeah, they can also be even for allergic situations when there's a lot of lacrimation, tearing, 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 or they're raw and itchy and burning and rubbing from pollen, etc. That's a good place to start. It's not the only place we go, but it's a great place to start. Speaking of that, Kate, I love combination remedies and Boron does a great job. So does Highlands. Um, so does Washington, so does OHM, so does um, Hahnemann Pharmacy out in San Francisco. I like these combination medicines that you can find often at Walmart, which is where they belong. We want remedies at Walmart. We well, want great. them there. We don't want this to be exclusive to only high-end health food stores. We want everyone to have access to these medicines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my friends and I, we stock up when they go on sale, whether it's online or locally. So we love the combination remedies. It's nice to have, especially they make great gifts for people who don't know a lot about homeopathy. If you want to recommend to a relative or a friend who doesn't know a lot and just here, keep these with you. Yes, leg cramps or teething tablets. Now, what I tell folks is, look, if you really want to learn homeopathy, there are many different ways to up your knowledge. And one of them that I think is great is if you use a combination medicine and it's working nicely for you or your family member, turn it over, turn that little bottle over and read the ingredients. Now, read those ingredients and look each one up. So you understand why that medicine acted for you or your family member. Open up your Materia Medica, My Materia Medica, or go online and look at Dr. James Tyler Kent's Materia Medica. You can find that for free online. It's rather extensive and it can be a little overwhelming sometimes, but definitely you want to look up why did that medicine act. So it will teach you your Materia Medica and you want this knowledge. Because there are unifying threads that you'll find, my goodness, look at this. This chamomilla helped my baby with teething, but look at this. It also helped the baby not be irritable. So maybe next time the baby's just plain irritable and there's no teething, maybe I should just consider chamomilla. And that's how you learn and extend and draw out your knowledge. Yeah, good suggestion. Good tip. So we were going to talk about herbs, botanicals. I mean, since St. John's Wort, hearkening back to my story, was so effective. People might say, well, why not just use herbs? And I say, sure, why not? Use herbs. Botanicals are wonderful. I believe, however, um, and this is founded in my years of experience of having used herbs and making my own tinctures from scratch by harvesting the plants in my area, or if I didn't have those plants available to me, sometimes I would buy them in bulk and make my own tinctures. So it's a great idea to learn botanicals so that you can utilize that information and extend it further into your homeopathic knowledge. But homeopathy just takes it to the next step. Yeah, just another tool to use. But if I had to choose one, (laughs) 
You Definitely bet. homeopathy. Yes. Homeopathy is so efficacious and there is so much information on how to use it, especially if you use these protocols that I teach on the blog and in my courses, it makes it so much easier. It takes the mystery out of what potency, what frequency, how long, what am I watching for? The problem with just plain old classical homeopathy and plain old herbalism is that you don't know how far to go. What's next? Okay, I know what medicine to use. Now what? That's what I try to take the mystery out of. That's why we call it practical homeopathy. Practical, yes. It's practical. That's why it's practical. Yeah, it's like a recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit more about some herbs. How about when you have an abrasion, a cut? Because I think there's some herbs that we can do topically on a cut that you have talked about in the past. Well, if it's not a really deep cut, then I would use a tincture. Because if you use a tincture on a deep cut, you could send the person through the roof because of the pain from the alcohol. Yes. Now, there are products that you can find made by Boron and Highlands, etc., from online and also health food stores where they make ointments. Or you can make your own ointment. I often made my own ointments, which was really great. I would gather the uh, St. John's wort flowers, for example, and calendula flowers. I actually grew my own calendula. And I would put it in a double boiler and put it in some olive oil. And the double boiler would have, of course, the hot water underneath, so it would keep it warm. Mm. And then I would steep these plants in the olive oil. And I would not cook it. It's not meant to be cooked. It's meant to be steeped in slightly warm, well, I shouldn't say slightly, warm water, pretty warm to the touch, so that they release their plant ability. And how long do you do that for? Well, sometimes I would do it all day. I would just have it on the stovetop while I was preparing meals and taking care of my family. It would just go all day on the back of the stove. I'm sure that those who are botanical experts might say, no, 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 that's too long. Or some might say, oh, no, it should be longer than that. So that's the way I always did it. And then I would strain the flowers at the end of the day. Sometimes I'd let them sit all night long in the olive oil. Then I would strain them and put those flowers into my compost. And then the oil that was rendered with the curative action of these plants, to that I would add beeswax. Mm -hmm. And so I would shave little bits of beeswax in there to tighten up the emulsion and make it more an ointment instead of a liquid, although you could certainly use it just as a liquid. But I often made these into chapsticks and salves. That's right. And so I would add the beeswax until I could see that it was thickening enough to get a good ointment or the texture and the thickness and um, tightness of a a lip balm. Hmm. So you still collect herbs to this day, don't you? No, I don't do it anymore. I'm in Florida now and um, I haven't found any natural places yet to start digging Hmm. around, but I did up until about a year ago. Yes. Okay. But I got to find out what's around here. Now I have something new to learn. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's always so many fun things to learn. I think that's the fun part of life. So much to learn and and know. Oh, we want to be students forever. Yes. And with 6,000 homeopathic medicines, we can be students of homeopathy Oh my goodness, yeah, it's forever. No doubt about it. It's a definite forever. I think there's more actually, and they're continually making new homeopathic medicines, right? Yes, they are. Yeah, they're called provings. I have a friend who works on these provings pretty regularly. She travels the world and does so. And it's great because you learn how to use plants or matter, whatever it might be, that they're studying in a new way and make a medicine from it. 
Yeah. Okay, so Joe, we're talking about the difference of herbs and homeopathy. So if herbs are so great, why not just use only herbs and not homeopathy? Let me give you an example. We were talking about chamomilla earlier for teething for babies, children. If you have a child who is teething and you happen to have chamomile growing in your yard, or if you don't, you can just certainly buy it. And you can buy it in tincture form or in capsule form, etc. And you can give it to the baby and it will help with the teething. There's no doubt about it. It will calm the child down a little bit and it will often help with the pain. You have to give it frequently or you could make it into a tea because if the child's really young, you certainly don't want to give them something that is made with alcohol. Mm-hmm. But you could make some tea and it will work. Now, however, get that chamomilla flower and make it homeopathically. And now we've got a medicine to reckon with. Now, if we dilute it 200 times to the hundredth power, and it's not done by us, of course, you could do it yourself, but we count on these pharmacies, uh, these homeopathic pharmacies to make these for us. If we buy chamomilla 200C, now if you give that to your child who's teething, not only does it eliminate the fractiousness of the child, that irritability, that seems so unreasonable, the sensitivity to the slightest touch, the inability to sleep, the crying out in the middle of the night because of the teeth pain. Now, when you give that to your child, for example, twice daily for a few days, you not only make the teething more comfortable for the child, but it's very likely that you may never have to give chamomilla again, even when the next tooth comes in. Or if you do, The sensitivity to the pain won't be as great. But if you do need to use it again, you use it every time the child needs it. And perhaps by the third tooth or the fourth tooth coming in, you won't need chamomilla anymore. Because what homeopathy does is it takes it to such a deeper level by that dilution process that it stimulates the body's ability to correct the problem. Because children should be able to teeth without pain and fractiousness, and sleeplessness, and screaming out in the night, and kicking off of their parents when they're picked up, and irritability. Teething should not be a painful condition. And so what homeopathy does is it corrects the whole condition with all of the satellite conditions related to it, not just the fact that the child is teething. And it does it in a gentle way. Gentle because it's so highly diluted as well. Mm-hmm. Now, think of teething not just for a baby, think of teething for molars that are coming in for a child who's a little older. Or how about teething with wisdom teeth erupting in young adults? Instead of having those wisdom teeth yanked from the gums, why not just use chamomilla 200 twice a day for a few days and calm that pain down and the fact that there's even pain in the first place? And it's also great when you get braces that cause that pain of the teeth moving in the gums and the jaw. Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) So that's taking a beautiful, simple plant, chamomilla, and making it into a homeopathic medicine shows us how the dilution process brings the curative action to the fore and makes it even more powerful. Mm -hmm. All right, let me use Buster, my dog, as a good example of using a tincture to help him get past a condition. Okay. Buster 
we thought was becoming super hyper and anxious and having a lot of problems with breathing and anxiety. It was panting frequently, etc. And I was giving Magnesia and it would help. He's an older dog. He's going to be 14 this spring. Mm. And so I figured it was anxiety because he can't stand to have my husband away from him. And <laughs> when my husband leaves the house, the dog stays at the door. Oh. I know. It's really, it's, I didn't know he was so attached to Perry. Oh, he's very attached to my husband. It's really ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I thought was going on. But then I realized, no, this, it's not working. Ignatia helps here and there. The panting. I just didn't know panting can mean so many things in a dog. And I treat animals homeopathically pretty regularly, but I do need a diagnosis. I'm not a vet. I need a good diagnosis. So my husband took Buster to the vet and she declared that he had congestive heart failure and that he'd probably had this for quite some time. And I agree because this behavior that we were observing had been ongoing for, I'm going to say, a good two years. So she said to my husband, interestingly, homeopathy can't treat that, you know. Um, <laughs> he, knew, she he knew that we were going to take the dog back and treat homeopathically. So my husband said, she said, homeopathy can't treat this. And I said, yeah, okay, right. So <laughs> well, I chose a couple of remedies for him, homeopathic remedies. And I won't go into, because I will be teaching this a little bit further. I will tell you the names of the remedies, but I won't tell you exactly how they're used because I don't want people to make mistakes on this. I really want to teach around this. But I used lachesis, lycopodium, and what we're discussing now, I used crataegus. Now, crataegus is a tincture, mother tincture. It's hawthorn berry. And I put the hawthorn berry tincture or crataegus into his water, and he drinks from it every day. So he gets this every day. That's one of the protocols that I use for this particular condition. Now, Buster was so bad that he would pace at night. He would wake us up through the night. It was really getting so severe, which is why, of course, we took him to the vet. What is going on? Does he have asthma? This is really awful. And he had this also, this horrible, deep bark, like he was a chain smoker. <laughs> and I know Buster never smoked. So, <laughs> and that's why I was thinking this might have been asthma or emphysema or something. And by starting Crataegus, Lachesis, Lycopodium, Buster turned around at least with the pacing within about four days. Mm. By the end of the week, he was no longer waking us up. By the end of 10 days, the panting was gone, the coughing was gone. And he started to have better bowel movements, and he became chipper. He became puppy-like and playful, which we hadn't realized had been missing from his behavior for quite some time. Aww. He's a new dog. He's a new poodle. <laughs> I see a completely different dog, and now he's been on these medicines, and we will not take him off of them. He will stay on these probably for the rest of his life. Can you hear him barking in the distance? Yes. Okay. See how happy he is? He's happy to greet people at the door. So we will keep him on these homeopathic medicines and this herbal probably for the rest of his life. It has done wonders for him. Hmm. So another thing that I want to mention that the vet had told my husband was don't let him go up and down stairs. Don't let him get into the heat. 
don't let him get overexcited. And he goes up and down the stairs. Um, we were carrying him for a while until he started to become well again. Is he cured? I don't know. I would call it a cure. At least it's a temporary cure, even if it only lasts another several months. This has been going on now. He's much improved for the last, I'm going to say maybe it's been three months. So what we see is a new poodle. And if it just buys us or him another year out of his life, I'm delighted. But I suspect he's going to make it quite a good deal further than that. Yeah. Wow. That's so, so exciting. Isn't it? Isn't it great? So now what we're doing is we're integrating this herb because it is part of the protocols, one of the Banerjee protocols, although everyone in homeopathy knows Crataegus is a very important botanical to be used for any cardiac condition. I would have used it for tachycardia. I used it for my father for tachycardia for years and he took it every day. This is how we integrate using these botanicals along with homeopathy. So it's not as though homeopathy trumps all botanicals, but we use them in conjunction here and there. So this brings up a question that a lot of people have asked, and that is what is the difference between an herbal tincture and what we call a mother tincture in homeopathy? It's the same. It's one and the same. So for those people who don't know what a mother tincture is in homeopathy, can you explain it? Well, it means that we're still getting the original substance, such as chamomilla. The flowers are put into alcohol. They are kept there generally for a fortnight. After that time, the flowers are discarded. Now you're left with a mother tincture. And from that mother tincture, now the process of the homeopathic potentization is begun, which is the dilution and the potentization process. Yeah, that's your basis of all of the other dilutions. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, I think we've covered quite a lot on this podcast today, Joette. I think we have. <laughs> well, the message I always like to leave folks with is to clear your circuit board of the old ideas that you need drugs for every this or that. Instead, look at the alternatives. These alternatives are not only just a potential. The homeopathy offers medicines and solutions for all conditions, pretty much all conditions. It doesn't mean we never use modern medicine. I always want to emphasize that. Surgery can be very, very valuable. I would never urge someone to hop off of their drugs that they're already taking. They stay on those medications until an alternative can be found, and then they still stay on those medications until it's clear that the homeopathic is acting properly. Mm -hmm. But I want people to shift that thinking from, I must use a drug to, I wonder if there's an alternative. And then what that offers folks, mothers, and now fathers, as evidenced by one of your podcasts with the dads with audacity, grandmothers, and those who don't have children but take care of animals, livestock, and pets, etc. What this gives you is freedom. And there is nothing like that freedom from fear, freedom from, oh my gosh, what do we do now? You'll know what to do. You want to plan ahead. You want to learn as much as you possibly can in using homeopathy and those adjunct herbs as well. Good words, Joette. Thank you for sharing with us today. My pleasure. 
You just listened to a podcast from practicalhomeopathy.com, where nationally certified homeopath, public speaker, and author Joette Calabrese shares her passion for helping families stay strong through homeopathy. Joette's podcasts are available on iTunes, Google Play, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Thank you for listening to this podcast with Joette Calabrese. To learn more and find out if homeopathy is a good fit in your health strategy, visit practicalhomeopathy.com.